One of the most famous verses in all of Scripture is found in the book of Romans, chapter 8, verse 28. And here's what it says. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for those who are called according to his purpose. Let me say it again. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. Now, I hope that many of you in this room are familiar with this verse. And we put it on posters and we put it on coffee cups because what it says to us, what what Paul wrote to us here under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit is foundational for us as the people of God. Paul is making a statement in this verse about the providence of God. The providence of God, that God upholds all things and is directing all things toward his glorious ends. You know, something that distinguishes us as a people of faith is the idea that God is upholding and directing our lives at all times, in every circumstance, for his glory. We don't hold to fate We don't follow zodiac signs. At least I hope you don't wake up every day and go to the newspaper to figure out how a configuration of the stars is going to influence your day. No, friends, we hold fast to our creator, God. And this promise, this doctrine, this core truth of the providence of God doesn't simply sustain us when things are going well. No, the providence of God is a promise that sustains us in the worst of situations. That we're not there by accident, but rather by God's hand for a purpose. Now in God's grace, he's given us a true story in the Bible, in the book of Genesis, to help us to help us see the providence of God on display and to help guide us to live in light of it. And it's the story of Joseph. One of my favorite preachers to listen to, his name is Alistair Begg, and he says of the story of Joseph that it is the story of God's providence with skin on it. Because Joseph and what God does through Joseph's, Joseph helps us to to see God's providence in real life situations and to recognize that he can use every circumstance to bring about his glory and our good. God is working all things together for good in the life of those who are called according to his purpose. It's true in the life of Joseph and it's true in our life as well. Now the hope for us and this new sermon series that we are beginning today journeying through the story of Joseph is that we would see this truth, that we would believe in the providence of God and live in light of it because life can be hard. Can I get a testimony in the room? Circumstances can be difficult, but church family, if we trust that God is in control, if we trust that he is with us, then we can remain faithful. More than that, we can be filled with joy. We can believe that God can use that difficulty in his wisdom to make us more like Jesus and advance his gospel. He can use every circumstance for good. 
Joseph's story begins in Genesis 37. At least that's where the, the focus begins to lock in on Joseph. Because his story is really the continuation of the story that has been unfolding across the pages of the whole book. So let me give us some background, some context here to help get us up to speed. At the beginning of the book of Genesis, the beginning of the Bible, we see God as our creator. God speaks into nothing. He speaks into the nothing that was and by the power of his word brings something about the whole of the created order. And all of it was good because it was from God. But immediately after the creation account, a story begins to unfold that continues to this day. And that story is set in motion by the introduction of a problem. A problem. The problem we call sin. And it was brought about by the actions of the first humans, Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve, they disobey the Lord. They're living in paradise, fellowshipping with God, and yet they still disobey him. They, they eat the fruit of the forbidden tree. They rebel against his authority. And in so doing, they introduce sin into the created world. And because of that sin, because of their rejection of God's authority, a curse is placed upon them and the whole of creation. And we see this curse being pronounced in Genesis chapter 3. Beginning in verse 14. Read with me if you're there. The Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, deceived, Cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I'll put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. To the woman he said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. All the women in the room said, Amen. Your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he will rule over you. To Adam, he said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. and pain, you will eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns, thistles, it shall bring forth for you and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face, you shall eat bread till you return to the ground for out of it you were taken for you are dust and to dust you will return. Thankfully, though, this curse is not where the story ends. Because right in the midst of this problem, in the midst of this curse being spoken, God offers a promise. And it's right there in the story. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, we just read it. Let me read it to you again. I will put enmity between you, Satan, our enemy, and the woman, the one who deceives, the, the enemy, the one who deceives, and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring, he shall bruise your head, and you will bruise his heel. Someone, from the very beginning, God wants us to, to see something. Someone will be born, a seed of the woman, a child of promise, to remove the curse. There's a promise here that at some point this curse will be undone and our enemy will be crushed. 
And the narrative of Genesis is set up to make us look for this promised child, to, to look for this seed of hope. The author points us to familiar families, particular families, each of which is used by God. And God makes particular commitments to these families, promises in light of his redemptive work. One of these foundational commitments and promises is found in Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 to 3, to a guy named Abram. Later, he becomes Abraham. And here's what God says to him in Genesis 12. Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whom who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. Do you hear the, the language there of blessing and of curse? Here, God offers a promise to Abraham that intersects with his larger promise in Genesis chapter three. Through the seed are the children of Abraham. The nation's will be blessed. There's hope here that the curse will be undone. And now it's coming through this guy, Abraham, and his family. And we're asked to look, as we read, for a person from this people of promise. And this person is the third part of our story. We begin to ask the question in light of the problem and the promise, who will be the one to come and remove the curse? Who will be the one to unleash blessing upon the nations? Now, as we read the book of Genesis, there are threats to this promise along the way. The faithfulness of God is challenged and threatened as the seed is threatened. And we wonder, we wonder if God will be able to uphold everything that he's promised. Will he actually be able to remove the curse and crush our enemy? And time and time again, I'm here to encourage you that he shows himself to be both faithful and able, stirring our hope as his people. Now, toward the end of the book of Genesis, the narrative arrives at a descendant of Abraham whose name is Jacob, also called Israel. Abraham was the father of Isaac, who was the father of Jacob. And Jacob has a particular son named Joseph. He's born in chapter 30, but his story picks up in Genesis 37. And I want you to notice how the themes that we've introduced in our brief survey of the book of Genesis are woven into this story. The themes of God's promise and his providence are right here from the beginning in Genesis 37 to show us the truth that, that Joseph's story is part of something bigger. It's a story that's part of God's story, his story of rescue and salvation for his people. Listen to the first 11 verses of Genesis 37. Here's what the word of God says. Jacob lived in the land of his father's sojournings in the land of Canaan. And these are the generations of Jacob. Joseph, being 17 years old, was pasturing the flock with his brothers. He was a boy with the sons of Bilhah and Zilpah, his father's wives. And Joseph brought a bad report of them to their father. Now Israel loved Joseph more than any of his other sons because he was the son of his old age. And he made him a robe of many colors. But when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all of his brothers, they hated him 
They could not speak peacefully to him. Now Joseph had a dream. And when he told it to his brothers, they hated him even more. And he said to them, hear this dream that I've dreamed. Behold, we were binding sheaves in the field. And behold, my, my sheaf arose and stood upright. And behold, your sheaves gathered around it and bowed down to my sheaf. And his brothers said to them, are you indeed to reign over us? Are you indeed to rule over us? And they hated him even more. There's a lot of hate in this family. They hated him even more for his dreams and for his words. He dreamed another dream. And told it to his brothers and said, Behold, I have dreamed another dream. Behold, the sun, the moon, and eleven stars were bowing down to me. But when he told it to his father and to his brothers, his father rebuked him and said, What is this, that, this dream you've dreamed? Shall I and your mother and your brothers indeed come to bow ourselves to the ground before you? His brothers were jealous of him. But his father kept the saying in mind. Now, we learn some very important information about Joseph's story and how it fits into the larger story of Genesis and the Bible right here in these 11 verses. Some key themes that as we begin as a people, we need to hold to and see them unfold throughout the entirety of Joseph's story. So let's make sure we take hold of these. I'm gonna identify them for you. And I want you to, to re remember them as we do this study over the next several weeks. Firstly, Joseph's story is part of a bigger story. I've already said this. I want to reinforce it, that what's happening here is not isolated. It is part of something much larger. In particular, it's connected to the story of Jacob and his fathers. Notice verses 1 and 2. The Bible says, Jacob lived in the land of Canaan, and these are the generations of Jacob. And then there's kind of a, an abrupt turn because then it says, Joseph. Here's a story about Jacob and the generations of Jacob. And then it, it turns its attention to Joseph because in some ways, Joseph's story is about Jacob. His father, who will be, is the father of the great nation of Israel. God gave him the name Israel back in Genesis 32. And the fulfillment of the covenant that comes through Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is that Jacob will be this, this father of a people through whom the nations will be blessed. The point here is that we should read the story of Joseph with an eye toward the larger promise and, and redemptive story that God has been unfolding throughout Genesis and throughout the Old Testament. This story, Joseph's story, Jacob's story, the story of Genesis is a story about God's faithfulness and his covenantal promises to his people that he is forming for his pleasure. You cannot read Genesis 37 without being reminded of Genesis 3, Genesis 12, Genesis 15, Genesis 26, and every other instance where God is declaring his purpose. As we read the book of Genesis, as we read the story of Joseph, we should see the faithfulness of God on display because he makes tons of promises, tons of, of covenants with the people that he is forming for his own pleasure. And he always shows himself faithful. We should also take note quickly that the story begins in Canaan. Jacob lived in the land of his father's sojournings in the land of Canaan, verse 1. That is the land of promise. And we should take note of that because the covenant God made 
with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob to grow them into a great nation through whom all other nations would be blessed has a physical element to it. There's a physical element to the blessing of God, the promise of this land, the land flowing with milk and honey, the best land that is available to show the blessing of living in covenant relationship with God. You know, Jacob had not been living in this land for a while because of a conflict he had with his brother Esau. And we're going to talk more about this next week. But essentially, Jacob stole his brother's blessing and in fear of Esau retaliating, fled. But it just so happens in Genesis 33, after Joseph is born, Jacob returns to this land of promise and is received by his brother. And the story of Joseph begins in the land of Canaan. And we got to take note of that because the movements of Joseph and his family in and out of Canaan provide a necessary, important backdrop for our story. It's the story of God moves forward because the land and the promise go hand in hand. Joseph's story is part of a larger story. And as we talk about, as we focus on Joseph's story, we can't get that larger story out of our mind. It's important. It informs it. The second thing that we see in Joseph's story is that Joseph is favored by God. God is with Joseph. It's clear that God wants to use Joseph in a particular and special way to help bring about his divine purposes. The reality of a larger story doesn't mean that that we should ignore the specific and special work of God in Joseph's story because God is with Joseph. And we see that in the fact that God gave Joseph dreams. In the Old Testament, dreams were an important form of communication for God to his people. God used dreams to reveal certain things and position his people for particular purposes, just as he's doing here. So when we see these dreams, we read about these dreams and the specificity of them, we should take note that they are from God and evidence of the favor of God upon Joseph. The dreams are meant to tell us that God is with him. And I think Jacob's reaction to his son also shows us that God is with him because Joseph is favored. He's favored more than his brothers. Now, there are human reasons for this. And the author shows us this in verse three. Joseph is the son of Jacob in his old age. Jacob had Joseph when he was older. And I think we all know that parents relax as they get older. Our first son... Jude's right up here. We were so worried and tight. He can't do this. And by the time Julia came around, I don't even know if we knew where she was most of the time. When you get older, you just get more relaxed. You just enjoy life more. It's just part of it. So Jacob has Joseph at an older age. He's easier on him. He loves him. And he was also the firstborn of his favorite wife, whose name was Rachel. And while these human elements are certainly at play, I think there's also a supernatural element to Jacob's favor because I think he saw that God was with his son. And this favor follows Joseph wherever he goes. That's what happens when God is with you. But finally, the third theme 
is while the favor of God, the fact that God is with Joseph, leads some to be drawn to him like his father. Others, many others, will reject him. While some may be drawn to Joseph because of the fact that God is with him, others will be repelled. Listen, it doesn't seem like anybody in our text today in Genesis 37 doubts that the dreams that Joseph has are from God. They take them to be divine revelation. The brothers, though, and to a certain extent, Jacob, just for a moment, react to the the revelation of these dreams in the flesh. Notice the response of the brothers to Joseph's dreams. Even though we don't know at this point the full accurate interpretation of the dreams that'll unfold in the coming chapters, the brothers mock Joseph and they hate him even more for the dreams. Now listen, they already hate him. We get that in verse four. But the dreams add to their hate. And after the second dream, and Jacob's rebuke of Joseph, the Bible tell us, tells us that the brothers, verse 11, were jealous, jealous of Joseph for the dreams. Now, why on earth would they hate Joseph more? Why would they be jealous of Joseph if they believed these dreams were nonsense? No, they believed that the dreams were from God and that God was showing Joseph favor like Their father had shown him favor and they could not handle it. Little did they know it was for their own salvation. Little did they know it was for their own good. So Jacob's some are drawn to Joseph because of the fact that God is with him and others are repulsed. And this lesson draws a, a larger lesson about the nature of the world in light of the problem of sin. It's a theme that continues even to this day. Hear me, Joseph is the favored son of Jacob. Joseph is favored by God, and yet that does not mean that his life will be free from hardship or suffering. In fact, it's the favor that Joseph has that actually leads to his hardship and his suffering. Why? Because our enemy... And the presence of sin want to stop the promise of God from being fulfilled. Because our enemy knows that if that promise is fulfilled and that person comes, his head will be crushed. But praise be to God, the powers that are at work against us, that were at work against Joseph, don't have the power to stop Almighty God. Now these points about Joseph's story are very important. Because again... They set the stage for the larger story that Joseph is a part of. Remember, Joseph's story is Israel's story. Joseph's story is the Bible's story. Again, not just the the story of his father Israel, but the nation of Israel. Think for a moment about what we know about the people of God in the Old Testament and consider how similar their collective story is to the story of Joseph. Israel was called out from among the nations. And they were shown to find favor, not because they were deserving, not because they were the firstborn, not because they were the strongest, quite the opposite. In fact, they were weak and unassuming, making them the perfect canvas on which God could display his glory. And that that favor was evidence 
That, that choice was evident in the, the history of Israel as God poured out his favor upon them. He supernaturally delivers them in the Exodus event from Egypt. He miraculously gives them the land of promise and his covenant and his law. He makes them the preeminent nation on the earth, at least for a season, by his will and decree. And that favor, that blessing that comes when you live under the rule and reign of God both draws people in and repels others. Some nations come to Israel, find blessing, while others, many others, reject Israel. More than that, they hate Israel and are jealous of them because of the favor that God has shown them and they seek to destroy them. Unfortunately, Israel kind of destroyed themselves from within because they turn out not to be as faithful as Joseph is. They still struggle with that problem that was introduced back in Genesis 3, the problem of sin. They become the source of their own downfall. But their story is also pointing us to another story, a larger story, an even greater story because the story of Israel is actually part of the story of Jesus. And ultimately, the story of Joseph is meant to point us to his story. The story of Jesus is the one that begins in the book of Genesis. And, and every other story is just echoing, pointing us to the greater story of Jesus because Jesus is the ultimate son of favor. God was clearly with Jesus in a unique way because he was the divine son and he was sent to bring about God's larger redemptive plan. And as that favor of God showed up in the life of Jesus, as he spoke what was divinely given to him, as he stood out among the other people from the people of God, some were drawn to him by God's grace, but many, most of his brothers and sisters rejected him, doing far worse to Jesus than Joseph's brothers did to him. But, even as the people of God, even as the enemies of God worked to destroy Jesus, as they worked to remove him, they didn't realize they were actually working in perfect alignment with the providential plan of God. He was still in control, working to bring about the promised salvation he promised in Genesis 3, to bring about that promised seed in the person of Jesus to remove our problem in Christ the curse is removed and our enemy is crushed. Listen, in some ways, the nations were blessed in Joseph. We'll see this in the coming weeks in Genesis. Joseph is the first and the smaller fulfillment of God's promises. There is a blessing that comes from him, but that blessing is temporary and limited because Joseph is not the true seed. He is not the true son of promise. That is Jesus. He's the greater fulfillment, the greater end. His story is the greater, greatest story. And as we pull all these important lessons, these themes from across scripture, I want us to Allow the Lord to prepare our hearts for what he wants to do with us through the, the series of this story. So, Jared, how should we approach hearing the, the, the life of Joseph preached? What should we come anticipating as the people of God as 
we worship. Let me just give you a few goals for this series that I hope that you will come ready to engage as the people of God week in and week out. Firstly, it is my hope, my goal, I think scripture's goal from the story of Joseph that we would be amazed by the providential working of God. God is in control. Isn't that good news? Isn't that comforting news that God is in control? Nothing happens that is surprising to God. Nothing happens that is beyond the use of God. It's true in Joseph's story. It's true in the story of scripture. It's true in the story of the church. And it's true in our story. It's true in the story of Joseph. Listen, God's providence is seen throughout the life of Joseph. Joseph, he's put in a pit. He's put in prison. He's put in power. And in every situation, it is clear that he is in those positions because God put him there for a specific purpose. It's true in the story of Scripture. God's providence is everywhere in his interaction with his people as he directs them for his purpose. Think about Moses. Did Moses just happen to end up in Pharaoh's palace, not eaten by a crocodile in the Nile? No, God put him there. Or Daniel and his friends, they, they just happened to be positioned in Babylon for the glory of God? That's not coincidence, that's providence. Is Esther just rightly positioned in the court of King Ahasuerus by chance? No, she was placed there for such a time as this. Think about the story of the early church in the book of Acts. God used all their difficulties, all the difficulties they experienced to actually spread the gospel of Jesus. It's true in Joseph's life. It's true in the story of scripture. Friends, it is true in the story of the church. How many times have we seen God's wisdom on display in our history? Times where it looked like the church would be diminished or suppressed, but in reality, it was growing because God was doing something we could not even see. Earlier this week, I was reading a sermon by John Piper, and he told a story about a pastor named Christo Kulichev, who was a congregational pastor in Bulgaria, and he was arrested in January of 1985 and put in prison. And his crime was that he preached in his church, even though the state had appointed another man to be pastor. But the congregation did not elect him. And because he preached when the government said no, he was put on trial. And his trial was a mockery of justice. He was sentenced to eight months imprisonment. During his time in prison, he made Christ known in every way that he could. And here's what he wrote when he got out. Both prisoners and jailers asked many questions. And it turned out that we had a more fruitful ministry there than we had expected in the church. God was better served by our presence in prison than if we had been free. Now, would this man have chosen to be in prison? Probably not. But because he was faithful and trusted in God's providence, even that time in prison was used by God for faithful, fruitful gospel ministry. There are countless stories like that in the history of the church. Story of Joseph, story of scripture, story of the church. But friends, isn't it true in our story as well? How many testimonies in this room do we have of God clearly working in our lives. 
Friends, let us be amazed by the providence of God as we hear the story of Jesus. That should be a first goal for us. The second goal for our series is that we would be grieved by the depth of human wickedness. Genesis is a wonderful book, but it's also kind of shocking. And isn't that a pretty pretty good description of the entire Old Testament? There's some crazy things that happen in the Old Testament. You want to know why? Because sin is messy, and it gets bad quick. I mean, you have Adam and Eve disobeying in Genesis 3. In the next chapter, you got a brother murdering another brother. That's how sin moves. It's messy. And we'll be confronted throughout this story with the messiness of sin and by the mirror of Scripture. It's one of the gifts of God's Word is that we look in it and we see Jesus, absolutely, but we also see ourselves. Even in this passage, I see Jared. My guess is you see a little bit of yourself in here too. Let me ask you this question. How many times... Have we hated someone because they were favored more than we were? They were more popular than we were. They were more loved than we were. How many times have we acted rashly and without kindness because we were jealous? You ever had that happen in your life? Often, church, Often, in our story, we're the brothers acting against our brothers and sisters because of sin in our hearts, acting against Jesus, if not for the grace of God. So my prayer is that as we engage in this story and we see the messiness of sin, we see the ugliness of sin, that we would be humbled, humbled, And broken, knowing what is raging within us, but also rejoicing in God's provision. Because we are no longer under the power of sin in Jesus, but the power of Christ. And while there is a struggle, there is freedom. And finally, in this series, would we be overjoyed at the work of salvation that God has accomplished in Jesus, because that is the ultimate point. Every page of scripture is meant to help us know Jesus. But I don't see Jesus' name in the book of Genesis, but friends, he is there. He is on every page and every word of the Bible. And as we see God's redemptive plan unfold in this time, in the Genesis 37 time for his people, Our prayer is that it would point us to the greater redemptive plan God has unfolded for all time in Jesus. Here's an important lens to read the scripture through. The Old Testament prepares us for Jesus. The gospels testify to the coming of Jesus. The rest of the New Testament speaks to the effect of the first coming And calls us to anticipate his second. The whole Bible is about Jesus. And we need to read this book. 
The only way to read the story of Joseph in a Christian way is to see it pointing us to Christ. All things work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose. We will see that on display in the life of Joseph, just as we saw it on display in the life of Jesus, the gospel of Matthew. Will you ask God to use the story of Joseph to guide you into greater faithfulness as a follower of Jesus? Will we ask God to allow the story of Joseph to guide us as a people into greater faithfulness for the glory of God? To trust that in every circumstance, God is working for his glory and our good. That's the hope. What about today? What can you begin to do today to walk in greater faithfulness and anticipation of all that God's going to do through our series in the study of Joseph. Let me offer you a few questions to reflect on as you ask the Holy Spirit to help shape and mold you into the image of Christ. Firstly, are you willing to rest in the truth of God's promise, of providence? Are you willing to hold fast to the promise of God that the curse will be removed and our enemy will be crushed even in the midst of pain, even in the midst of suffering, even in the midst of difficulty. Do you believe the promise of Romans 8, 28, that God is working all things for the good, for those who are called according to his purpose? Listen, I don't know what you came in here today with. I know in this room there are people who are dealing with difficult diagnoses, disease, I know there are people in this room who are dealing with difficult things in your family, difficult things at work. And I want to encourage you that this series is for you. To remind you that God has not left you. He's not asleep at the wheel. He is ever present. He is our, our, our place of refuge in times of trouble. He is there working, will you trust? Secondly, would you be willing today to repent of your own sin? Because that problem of sin, it still exists. Now listen, it is and will be defeated. And we are living in victory if we are in Jesus. But we know that we have those flesh moments. We still struggle with that flesh. And maybe today, You saw a little bit too much of yourself in the story of these brothers and you've been filled with hate and with jealousy. It's hard not to in our culture. Our culture is so hateful. You can't get on social media. You can't get on the television. You can't watch the news without hearing people demean each other, tear each other down. And that bleeds into into our hearts. If we're not careful, are you, are you filled with hate? Someone who looks different than you? Has a different set of politics than you? Lives a little bit differently than you? Or are you filled with hate? Maybe you're jealous. 
in a place where we live, it's, it's really easy to look down the street and get a little bit covetousness in our hearts, right? Man, I wish I had what, what they had. I wish I had that house. I wish I had that car. I wish I had that boat. I wish I had that family. I wish I had that relationship. I wish I had that gift to serve the church and you know those wishes, those desires that they're not not careful there, they can become envy and jealousy and covetousness and that can turn to hate because you think God's blessing them in ways that he's not blessing you. Maybe some of that ugliness is in your heart and here's the reason why it's ugly because it's not like Jesus and we're called to be like Jesus. So maybe today you could repent of that and say, God, You've saved me from sin. You've saved me from the power of sin if I'm in Christ. I don't want to live in that anymore. I don't want to live in that hate or that jealousy. Would you, would you pull it out and fill it with the Spirit? Fill it with joy. Fill it with satisfaction. Fill it with the fruit of the Spirit so I can be like Christ. So I can trust in any circumstance that you're working. In my circumstance that you're working. And then finally, would you accept the salvation that God has offered in Jesus? Because the story of Joseph is the story of Jesus. And it's a story for us. That problem is only fixed if God fulfills his promise to bring that person, to bring that ultimate son of promise, to bring that ultimate seed. And the story of scripture is that he was faithful to fulfill that promise in Jesus. Jesus came, he was rejected, he was crucified so that we could be saved by him. Let me ask you, have you allowed your greatest problem, the problem of sin to be solved by the person of Jesus? If you haven't, would today be the day of your salvation when you would repent of that sin and trust alone in Jesus for salvation. He will free you. He will free you from that curse and he will bring you into untold blessing now and for all eternity. Would you let the story of Joseph and Jesus become your story today by responding in obedience? Wherever you are, would you bow your head? Ask the Lord to help you know how to respond in faithfulness today. Just a minute, we'll have some pastors and ministers here in the front who would love to pray with you, encourage you if you need that. Oh, Father, would you find us faithful? Would you help us become better followers of you, a better people for your own possession because of our time before you today. Help us to rest and trust in the providence of God and your providence and your care for us, that you are holding us, you're holding us in your hand and you're directing our lives by your hand for your glory and our good. Would we rest in that today? Believe it. Walk in it. And Father, would we, would we repent of sin, especially the sins that were present in our text today of hatred and jealousy, hatred born of jealousy and covetousness? 
that has no place among your people. Get it out of us, Father, so we can look more like Christ. And if there's any today, Father, who have not clung to the promise and the provision of the person of Jesus, either online or with us in the room today, would you draw them to yourself in repentance and belief? Would you show them how in Jesus the curse is removed and our enemy is defeated so they can walk in freedom, in newness of life, like all of us who have called upon the name of Jesus? Would you be glorified by how we respond to your word because your word demands a response? We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for joining us this week at Bayleaf. For more information about Bayleaf Baptist Church, visit our website at bayleaf.org.